Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. Good morning, church. How are you this morning? Good. Make eye contact with everybody. Nice to see you. My name is Ladea Rylander. My husband and I lead a connect group. He also heads up the Club C3. And I am honored that sometimes um, they ask me to speak up here. And that's a lot of fun. And I'm especially honored that it's communion service today. As I was thinking about communion, I was reminded by a comment from my two-year-old uh, the other day, not that sh- she wasn't thinking about communion at all, um, but I was, in the, I was in the kitchen, I was doing something, and she came in and said, what you doing, Mama? I said, oh, I'm making coffee. She said, oh, you had coffee yesterday. And I said, mm-hmm, yes. <laughs> coffee is one of those things that I'm happy to experience over and over and over again, uh, and I hope you Felt like that, too, when you heard it was a communion service. Ooh, I get to experience that again. Um, and I hope today that the experience is, is fresh, not like, not like the kind of coffee that you grab because you're in a rush and it's kind of burnt and not that good, but you need the caffeine, right? So, so sometimes you have that kind of coffee. Uh, not Justin. I know Justin never has that kind of coffee. But other times... You, you've got time in the morning, maybe, you're grinding the beans. Okay, this is if you are Justin, at least. Grinding the beans, measuring it out very carefully. Uh, maybe you light some candles. Like, you make a whole ritual out of it that's, that becomes more meaningful than just the coffee and the caffeine hit. Um, <clears throat> I don't want to take that metaphor too far. <laughs> but, but this morning, that's what, I, that's what I hope, that's what I pray, that we have a fresh experience, um, that the ritual means something to us. Uh, my title, the title of this message is New Glasses and a Burning Heart. So I want to pray really quickly and bless the message and that we leave here with new glasses for a fresh experience and a burning heart. Father, thank you so much for this community of people, for your church. Thank you that you are here with us, Lord, that your presence is already here. I just pray that you would bless these words uh, that I speak today, that you would fill them out, uh, that they would resonate in people's hearts, uh, and that you would just be here with us. We would hear from you today, in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn with me to Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. This is not a passage that's directly about communion, but you're going to see the connection, I hope. This is a kind of classic resurrection passage. Uh, So I just want to read this. We find ourselves sometime later on Resurrection Sunday, so the tomb has already been found empty. And now we zoom in on two travelers who are leaving Jerusalem. So they're leaving the the epicenter of the action. uh, And we're going to find out how they feel about everything that's happened shortly. So Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. I'm going to read the whole thing. 
Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He, Jesus, said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. There's so many curious, wonderful things going on in this passage. Luke, Dr. Luke was an awesome writer. Uh, and there are some key turns here that I want to unpack for you today um, and show you how they've played out in my life and how I think they can play out in your life still today. So we first meet these two people, Cleopas and an unnamed companion on the road. Quite often people just assume that this unnamed companion is a man, but there's some evidence to say that it could also be his wife. Uh, they were actually in Jesus' family, and we know that Cleopas and his wife were at the cross at crucifixion. We know that from John chapter 19, verse 25. So it would make sense that this husband and wife pair, they've been in Jerusalem for the events, they've been close to Jesus, they knew Jesus, uh, and now they're maybe going home to Emmaus, or maybe Emmaus is a stop on their way home. So it could be Cleopas and his, and his wife. And we find out that they are downcast, right? When Jesus comes up to them the first time, they don't see him and... Um, the scripture tells us 
that their faces are downcast. They're sad. And Jesus asks, what's wrong? Or what's going on? And they're like, have you not been around? Are you living under a rock? Um, and, and then they proceed to tell Jesus the facts as they know them. Here are the facts. Here are the events that's happened. Jesus was this amazing man. We thought that he was our redeemer. And then he was crucified. And to them, crucifixion would have been proof that he was definitely not the redeemer. Um, It would have meant that, yeah, uh, this wasn't God's plan. The pagans are, in fact, still in control of the world. Israel is still in exile. This didn't fix it. So they are not just downcast, really. They're utterly disappointed. They're devastated. But what's interesting is they they know the events. And these people, they also would have known the Old Testament scriptures. They know the key plot points. And they're living in this time when Israel's waiting for a redeemer. And they even knew Jesus. They would have heard Jesus teaching and preaching. They would have heard what Jesus predicted about his own death and resurrection. And yet they still don't have the story right. So I find this so fascinating. They knew the facts, the events, but they weren't interpreting them correctly. So you see, the travelers had some kind of head knowledge. They had known Jesus, heard his teachings, but they still weren't awakened to the true meaning of the scriptures or to who Jesus really, really, really is. Now, I said that the two travelers maybe. Cleopas and his wife, but it could be, because Luke is an awesome writer, that he purposely doesn't name or gender that second traveler so that you can be that person, whoever you are. So now it's you. You and Cleopas are on the road to Emmaus. Uh, Or rather, here you are in Malmö, right, 2019. And you know the facts about some stuff about the world, recent events, Maybe you know some facts about the climate, some political issues, or local Malma news, uh, unless you're reading hashtag fake news. Um, It is, of course, harder today to sift through, I I find, harder today to sift through other people's interpretations to get to the facts. But, you know, we can make this personal. We could say, you know the facts of your own life, right? You know the events, the major events of your life and what you've gone through. By the time you get to be an adult, you've likely got a story about what all of those things mean. This is what has happened to me. This is why I am. Uh, This is how I got here. And the thing is, some of you, that story you're telling yourself may lead you to feel downcast or melancholy or complacently just discontent with, well, the way things are and the way I am. And maybe some of those disappointments you've picked up along the way and kind of internalized them. And maybe you direct them toward God because you've got this interpretation. And, the, you know, these, this is the way I look at things. But I would, I would say to you today, if you're that second traveler with Cleopas on the road, then even if you know the events, even if you know the facts, it's possible that your interpretation of those facts is a little skewed somewhere. 
And I'd suggest that some of us are even looking at life through worn out, dusty, scratched up glasses. You see, before any of us meet Jesus truly, we all are destined to see reality through these old creation glasses that Adam and Eve first acquired in Genesis. You know the story. Uh, right around Genesis 3, 6 to 7, the serpent asks Eve some subversive questions, um, gets her thinking about that juicy fruit of the tree of knowledge that they're not supposed to eat. Eve eats it. Adam's right behind her. And then Genesis 3, verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. But what were their eyes open to here? They were opened in the sense that they now saw their reality and each other differently than they did before, certainly. We could even say that they got a different pair of glasses that day that gave them the ability to interpret their lives in terms of their own ideas and definitions of good and evil. And that sounds kind of enticing. I mean, even, even when I think about that, yeah, a new, uh, that's an ability I want, to be in charge of my own life, be able to interpret my life on my terms, my own definitions. And certainly, this ability still entices us today. The problem, though, with these glasses that Adam and Eve got in Genesis 3 is that instead of clearer vision, they distort our human vision. These lenses are deceptive. When we look through them, we, we can think we're reading a situation or ourselves or someone else correctly, but maybe we're not. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe we're not really seeing that situation for what it is or ourselves for who we really are. So it seems to me that Cleopas and his companion are reading their situation through these distorting lenses. This is so curious to me because it means that you can actually have walked with Jesus. They knew Jesus pre-crucifixion and still... And actually, also, Jesus is standing right there. Let's not forget that. They're actually speaking to Jesus. And yet, they're still wearing the old glasses. They can't recognize him. And their interpretation of the facts is wrong. So, with these glasses on, the traveling pair, as the scriptures say, are kept from recognizing Jesus. You can't see Jesus truly, with these old glasses. And notice what Jesus does here. He doesn't snap his fingers and say, hey, see me, here I am, it's me. He instead does something else first, and this is so important. Jesus is so wise. <laughs> he says, how foolish you are. In other words, Ugh, you've got the wrong glasses on. You've got old news, old creation glasses. Let me first give you a different interpretation of those facts that you already know. So it says in this passage that he takes them through the scripture. We don't get to see every uh, scripture that he quotes, but he goes through from Moses to the prophets, all the big plot points. Here are the facts. 
but let me reinterpret them in light of himself, in light of what has happened on Calvary. So he's like he's saying, hey, I want you to recalibrate your feelings right now, recalibrate your life, your facts about the, wor- the world, in light of the story of Scripture as Jesus tells it. This move on Jesus' part is so meaningful for us today. I mean, if you're, if you're here and you're not sure how or why Scripture still matters, I'd argue that Jesus is setting a very clear example of how and why Jesus matters. It's through the correct interpretation of the word and hearing it in light of Jesus that we're able to recalibrate our life. We find out a bit later in the passage, I think it's here, verse 32, how they were feeling, these two travelers, when Jesus was speaking to them. They say, they say, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Were not our hearts burning? So they're standing there listening to this with burning hearts all of a sudden. I love that Luke chooses that metaphor specifically. He didn't, they don't say, wasn't that like a cozy blanket to hear this man talk about the scriptures in this way? Or, mm, this, that was like sucking on a pacifier. Mm. Because those metaphors imply that you would then stay wrapped up in this cozy, comforting blanket. You can't move very well if you're wrapped up in a blanket. But a burning implies some kind of energy, right, that keeps you going. You can actually be moved by heat, um, it move you to take action. So we know they're listening to this man they don't yet recognize, their hearts are burning, and they still haven't put the the final puzzle piece together. But because of those burning hearts, they know enough that they don't want this man to get very far. They're like, wow, we we caught something from this person. So they, they don't just ask him to stay, they urge him strongly, stay. Stay with us, because if your heart's burning, you want to stay close to the flame. Funnily enough, typical Jesus, invited as guest, starts acting as host. He takes the bread, gives thanks, and in verses 30 to 31, uh, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Do you recognize that line, then their eyes were opened, from Genesis 3? I think this line purposely parallels Genesis 3, but this time, Cleopas and his wife, if we we think that it could be her wife, which it could be, so another husband and wife pair, Instead of their distorting lenses, they get to take them off. They trade them in for pristine, divine glasses, and they're suddenly aware of this new spiritual reality of new creation. They see Jesus for who he really is, the true fulfillment of God's plan all along, their hope, and the Savior of the world. So up to this point in Luke, we've seen Cleopas and his companion go through three crucial turns. 
first. They have the facts, but their interpretation is faulty. They need a fresh encounter with Jesus to fix this. They've been with him before, but they need a fresh encounter to fix their faulty interpretation. Second, Jesus comes along. They don't recognize him yet, but this time they hear the facts of Scripture correctly interpreted by the living, breathing, resurrected Word in the flesh. And three, they share a real physical experience of eating bread. So they hear it, and they have a real experience of it. Not just any bread, of course, bread broken by the bread of life, giving this food, like the fruit in the Garden of Eden, spiritual significance. But where the fruit in the Garden of Eden um, gave Adam and Eve a dirty, dusty, distorted pair of glasses, a kind of, another kind of spiritual reality. Now we're awakened. We have the possibility for these new, clear glasses to really see Jesus for who he is. And so this is the point of communion today. It's a, it's a reminder of the big picture story that Jesus has, in fact, already defeated sin and made it possible to exchange those old glasses that blur your vision. And it's not just enough to hear this once. You know, one cup of coffee today is not going to get me through tomorrow. Or like Justin said earlier, watering the plants once a year is not going to get them through the whole year. You've got to remind yourself of the truth and experience it fresh over and over and over. And that's why communion is one of those things that we do many, many times as a Christian. Acts 2 paints this picture of the early church taking communion all the time. It was just part of it, constantly reminding them, constantly proclaiming the victory that is Jesus' death until he comes. That's what we're doing. And crucially, it's meant to be a physical experience with spiritual consequences for your whole self. I want to point out to you that it's so important that the passage in Luke doesn't end here. We've got two more verses. Look at what happens in verse 33 to 35. After they've had this revelation, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So you see, this kind of eye-opening, personal revelation with God is not meant to be kept to yourself. God says, use this to help more people encounter me and introduce them to my kingdom. It's not a secret. So your personal experience, your personal healing, your personal testimony serves a greater kingdom purpose, always. And that's when you use it to that effect, when you tell people about it, when you let it affect your life and your actions so people see that there's been a change in your life, that's when you're in the bigger story now. That's when you're really participating. 
And that's also how your pain and your trials and your suffering take on new meaning when you get to use them to show how God has redeemed you and healed you to bring someone else into the kingdom and declare his goodness. Amen? So I want to make this concrete and share an example of my own road to Emmaus, if that's okay. So I grew up knowing Jesus. There was not a time in my life when I can remember not knowing Jesus. So I was born into a family of believers, um, minus my father, but my mother and many other family members are real deal Christians, like people who are faith role models. So I was being prayed over, you know, before I existed, while I was in the womb, as a small child. So I grew up knowing Jesus. And I recognized him as Savior as a kid. I think I was seven uh, when I really believed. And I recognized Jesus as Savior. Um, I even have the privilege of knowing my great-grandparents when they were alive. And they were alive for a long time in my life. And I even knew that they were strong prayer warriors praying for me. That's such a blessing, first of all, to even know my great-grandparents, but then also to know that they prayed for me every single day I was on their prayer list. So this is how, at least one part of how I grew up in my story. And yet, even so, I also grew up seeing part of the world and myself through distorting glasses, and did so for quite some time. So through some other formative experiences as a kid, I also internalized that my worth as a person and identity were tied up with performance and achievements, and I developed some perfectionist tendencies. And what this did was create a perfectly vulnerable spot in my heart uh, that the enemy would regularly use, would aim uh, arrows and shoot and hit me right in that spot. And every time that happened, that would confirm to me that when I had made a mistake, or even when I did something that I perceived as a mistake, some part of me just really wasn't acceptable or lovable. So this is funny because I held that belief about myself at the same time that I knew Jesus, and I knew he loved me, and I knew what the scripture said. As a kid, I mean, I, I witnessed miracles that helped confirm my belief, like random anonymous checks showing up in our mailbox when my single mom didn't know how she was gonna make ends meet. Money would just show up from nowhere. But I needed new glasses. Uh, my heart needed healing from those arrows and some kind of armor to deflect the ones that were to come. So fast forward to my early 20s, about eight years ago, I was studying Psalm 3 at the kitchen table. And in that poem, David struggles with anxiety and fear and identity level questions. So in my scripture studies, I read the word, 
I also listened to a powerful sermon that opened up that psalm to me in a way that I had never experienced it before. Similar to the way Jesus opened up those scriptures to Cleopas and this traveler. In a way they had never thought of them or really seen them before. And of course I didn't stop there. I took that knowledge now that I had and I prayed this psalm over and over again. And the result of that was in that moment by myself at my kitchen table, I had a real, true, physical and spiritual experience. I felt burning, literally. I broke down and in that moment I can say God healed those wounds in my heart and gave me a new pair of glasses. One of the key lines in Psalm 3.3 is, but you, O Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. And that became the truest thing to me at that moment. Not because I hadn't heard stuff like that before. I grew up in church singing songs with lines like that. I knew that God was a shield, but I needed to experience it. Something had to happen in me. So this encounter with the word allowed me to re totally reinterpret this deeply ingrained story that I had about myself based on some real events in my life, some facts. But now, on this side of that event eight years ago, when those same kind of arrows get shot at me, because they do, God doesn't always stop the arrows, but now I've got a shield. So here's the thing. Remember, these things happen so that they also can be used for greater purpose. I got to tell someone about this experience just last week. An opportunity came up someone who has a similarly internalized story that via trauma as a child, her identity and self-worth got tangled up with performance and perfection and what other people think about those performances. And this person and I have walked pretty closely together through a difficult situation recently. She is not a believer. And she wondered, we were having Fika, and she wondered, why are you, like, remarkably okay? Why aren't you cracking more in this situation? And I told this story, that my faith and my experience of knowing the truth about what, what God says about me and my identity, that means that my heart is really, really protected from identity-based attacks. It's not just knowledge, it actually works for me, and it's played out in real time so that someone who's not a believer has seen it and is like, what? I'm praying now, of course, that God grows this seed of truth in her life, too, and that one day she'll call herself a kingdom person. But I think this is key, right? People need to know, they need to hear it, and they also need to see the knowing worked out really in your life. So before we take communion this morning, I want to tell you that if you're here and you've got old glasses, even if you know Jesus, like I said, it's possible to still see some part of 
the world and your life and yourself through distorted lenses. Jesus is also here to give you new ones today. Or if you're here and you're feeling downcast like the travelers on the road, Jesus' presence is really, really here to reinterpret the facts for you, to really transform and heal your heart. All right, Jane, you want to come up? And... He's... Let me make this point really strongly. He certainly didn't die and resurrect so that we could keep walking in a hopeless fog with broken hearts. Like, what's the point, right, if, if, if that were the case? He died and resurrected so that we could have new glasses and whole hearts, hearts that would burn with energy so that we could get out there and do kingdom work. Close your eyes for a minute. So if you're here and any of this is resonating, if you feel like, yeah, I actually think I do need new glasses for something, I want to pray specifically for you before we take communion. Maybe you're here and you, you've never really met Jesus, but your heart's burning a little bit. And you feel like, yeah, I think I, want, I think I want to know that person. If your heart is burning inside of you, I can only encourage you to stay close to the flame. Get in the word. Learn how to read it. And let this communion experience this morning be a real physical and spiritual reminder of the truth. And then let that burn energize you to speak it and live it out. Lord, I thank you for every person here today. I thank you because you know them all. You know them all intimately, better than anyone else knows them. You know where their hearts are vulnerable. You know what the enemy uses to shoot arrows that hurt and confirm wrong stories about who we really are, Lord. Father, I pray if there's anyone in the room today who's got a wound in their heart, I pray right now for divine healing, Lord. Heal that wound. Stitch it back together. Oh, friends, his presence is so sweet. Thank you, Jesus, because you're here. Thank you that you are really here, Lord. Father, give us new glasses. Give us divine glasses so that we can see clearly who we are in you. That we can interpret our lives as part of your bigger narrative because that's what it's all about. It's your story. 
I pray that you would energize us today. When we leave here, our lives would be threads that you weave together to form this bigger story, Lord. Thank you that we've all got a role to play. But before that, it needs to start with some some healing and new glasses. As the band continues to play, you'll come up and get the bread. Jesus' body broken for you and for me. You'll take the cup. Jesus' blood poured out to cover and atone for your sins and my sins. Not so that we could keep doing the same thing with those old glasses, but a perfect sacrifice so that we could be made whole and see. You'll take the sacraments in your own time at your seat, and we'll go back into worship. Friends, if you're here and you would like prayer specifically for something, please come to the front during worship, and I or any of the leaders up here on the front would love to pray with you. We're just going to otherwise keep this sweet atmosphere. I, I, his presence is so tangible to me right now. When you're ready, come up for communion. <laughs>